Let's not turn this on for me. Everybody turn it off, and I'll turn it on. Thank you. Okay, good. I always walk up, and uh, I don't know what it is. Every once in a while, I flip the mic on, and it doesn't work. And I'm like, what just happened here? Well, it said I flipped it off instead of turning it on. Okay, so anyway, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This thing sounds a little hot today, don't it? Wow. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Let's go ahead and begin there. Of course, we've been dealing with dispensations and tonight, um, wow, tonight we're going to go ahead and um, look at um, the final dispensation, at least that's the way I'm going to put it. Some have said there's, there's eight, and we're going to stop with seven here, and uh, it just depends on who you read and who you follow after, but um, we're going to end with this. Some have said there's a dispensation of the fullness of time. And um, we're, I think once we get into that new heaven, new earth, we'll just go ahead and say that everything's going to pretty much be pretty consistent, and we're not going to have to worry too much about um, sin at that point because God's going to have already addressed it and dealt with it. So nonetheless, uh, we do see these testings taking place here in these dispensations. And so let's go ahead and read 2 Timothy 2.15. And this is really why we, we, we see these somewhat these divisions and again, there's nothing that you'll read and you'll say, ah, you know, uh, okay, define these seven in the Bible. Show me where it says this is when this dispensation starts, this is when this dispensation ends. It's not there. Okay, I'm just going to tell you that right now. 
Uh, it's basically, it's based on context. You look at the passages, you see where it starts and ends. You see how God's dealing with this particular group of people during this time period, and it makes sense that things are divided in certain ways. We see the law, we see grace, we see the patriarchs, we see all of those things, and it's obvious that there's something uniquely taking place there. And so they are divided in what we have determined and coined as dispensations. And so here we have, and we're going to be dealing today, with the dispensation, basically, of the Messianic dispensation or the millennium. We're going to talk about that. And it's basically a dispensation of righteousness. So in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible says, Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are, there are obviously divisions in the scriptures, and uh, we, we can see those. They're, they're, sometimes they're extremely obvious. Other times they're not as obvious. But if we don't rightly divide the word of God, we're going to end up in the wrong place because we're going to be applying principles, truths, or even promises where they don't belong. And we have to be extremely careful with that because if we're taking a promise that was given to, say, one group during a certain time in history and we apply it to our life today and we claim it as a truth or a promise, then all of a sudden we could run into a position where God now is not fulfilling his promises from our standpoint. And that would, it wasn't made to you and I. It wasn't given to you and I. Uh, or somebody turns around and says, okay, we know that, uh, that uh, God gave Israel, uh, you know, this uh, sign uh, or covenant, you know, the signs and these certain covenants and promises. And then we say as a church, we're going to claim all of those signs, covenants, and promises. And he didn't make them to the church. He made them to Israel. And so things like that get kind of crazy. And so we want to be careful with that, okay? So nonetheless, um, we're going to talk a little bit about as I said, the Messianic dispensation or righteousness, okay? Um, the tribulation, after the rapture of the church, and we talked a little bit about uh, grace the other day, not uh, that grace, but we talked about grace in the Bible, and so as a result, we uh, recognize that uh, the tribulation is going to kick off following that, okay? So we have, of course, we, we've got the dispensation of grace that we are now presently in, we know there's going to be a catching away or a rapture that transpires. And then following that, there's going to be the tribulation period, a seven-year time of judgment. Okay, And so uh, some have said that's a parenthetical. There's a parenthetical dispensation. Again, you read different people. You can come up with all kinds of stuff. But it's going to be seven years, basically, where God's going to be judging and uh, Israel's going to be judged and the Gentiles will be judged. We'll talk about that. But, I mean, it's, it's a seven-year period that I don't want to be a part of, and neither do you. And so in this dispensation of grace, we're out there trying to win everybody we possibly can. Why? Because we don't want them to have to end up in the tribulation period and address and deal with all the problems that are going to take place there. I mean, you talk about a mess. You think it's a mess now in the world we live in. I'm going to tell you, you ain't seen nothing yet, as they say. And so uh, during that tribulation, again, the Jews, they're going to be judged during the tribulation under the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to be a tool that God uses to judge Israel. Uh, Israel, of course, has been rebellious. They've been uh, basically um, uh, disobedient. Uh, they, they've been idolatrous. Um, as a result, you know, they right now have a veil over their eyes. They can't even see so to speak, the way they should as a nation, as, at least. As individuals, they come to Christ the same way we do. By the way, a Jew that gets saved is part of the church, not a part of the Jewish faith. Okay, it's very important to understand that because now there's a body, Jew and Gentile, we come together as one. That's two. But anyways, one. Okay, there we go. Okay, 
All right. <laughs> had to clarify that for a moment. But anyway, uh, so they're going to be judged during the tribulation under the Antichrist. That's why the Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. It's going to be a time of Jacob's trouble, a lot of trouble there for Israel. Then there's the Gentiles. They're going to be judged as well, primarily at the close of the tribulation period. We know there are going to be sheep nations. There'll be goat nations. If you're a sheep nation, if you've treated uh, uh, the Jew well and you were, uh, in that sense, you know, good to God's people, then you're going to be rewarded by entrance into the millennial kingdom. If you weren't, then as a nation, you'll be destroyed. And we see evidence of that in chapter 25 of the book of Matthew. And then, of course, there's the church. And the church, while everything like that's going on here on earth, while the Jews being basically judged by the Antichrist, but as the Gentiles are going to be judged by God at the end of the tribulation period, the church is in the heavenlies being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. And so that's all taking place during that seven years. Well, then we know following that, there's going to be what's called the millennium. And that's kind of what we want to address, what we want to talk about. Okay, so let's take our Bible, look over the book of Revelation chapter 20. Let's start there. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Now, under the dispensation of grace, we would have thought for sure that mankind would have ultimately come out ahead on that one, that he'd have done it right for a change. After all the failures that they've experienced, mankind has experienced, you would think, finally, grace. I mean, God, simply just trusting and receiving Christ as your Savior and then having literally God living in you, you'd think you'd be able to handle it, that we'd be able to be victorious, that we would end strong, and that he'd find faith on the earth when he returns. And Yet we do know, without a doubt, that this dispensation ends in apostasy. And so, you know, everything seems to be going the wrong direction, and now there's the millennium. Let's read about it a little bit. In Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 1, <clears throat> And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should not deceive, excuse me, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, the millennial, in this millennial dispensation, God will deal with mankind as a whole. 
but he deals with them as made up as nations. So he's going to primarily deal with them as nations. The king, Jesus Christ, is going to be on the throne. He's going to be ruling and reigning over the millennial kingdom. Literally, can you imagine Christ once again on earth? And uh, the church won't necessarily be on earth, but it'll be represented by those who are assisting and helping the Lord Jesus Christ run the kingdom. I look forward to that. I hope you do too. The Jews as a nation will then be the head of all nations again. They're going to finally take their rightful place. Top dog again. That's where they belong. Now, in all the history books that you read and all those kind of history books that you learn from even in school and in college, you don't read much about the Jews being on the top. You always read about Babylon and some of those other Gentile nations, but can I tell you that before they ever came into existence, the Jew ruled and reigned. May I say that's God's intent and it will one day take place again. The principle by which or under which God's going to deal with mankind in those days is going to be not the law, not grace, It won't even be judgment. It'll be righteousness. So the government's going to be based on righteousness, and that sounds kind of strange already, doesn't it? The idea that government and righteousness could be said in the same sentence? I mean, give me a break, right? But in those days, it'll happen. It's going to be an autocratic government. Autocratic meaning a ruler with absolute power. The Lord Jesus Christ will have absolute power to rule and reign on earth. The Bible tells us that he's going to rule with a rod of iron. In Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 4, the Bible says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Verse 4 of chapter 11, But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. In Revelation 2.27, And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. Revelation 19.15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Psalm chapter 2, verse 9, Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And despite that rod of iron, Christ will rule based on love. And I know that's a very difficult concept for us. But indeed he will. He will demand obedience of his subjects. <clears throat> Without a doubt he will. However, he will show them every kindness and every consideration. He'll not abuse his power by oppressing or taking advantage of anyone. He'll be the perfect balance of tough but tender. History, of course, has proven that fallen man cannot be trusted with absolute authority or rulership. It just can't happen. It never will happen. There hasn't been a man born yet a woman born yet that can handle absolute authority. It will not happen. That is why our democracy is so successful in the world. Yeah, you say, you just changed the politics? Absolutely I did. Because it's rooted in a biblical principle. 
You know what it's rooted in? You know what a democracy's rooted in? The fact that we all recognize that mankind is a sinner at the root. Therefore, no absolute ruler could ever make it work. Therefore, there must be a democracy, and in our democracy, there, in essence, there are checks and balances that hold everyone's feet to the fire and limits the power that one individual can exercise. Again, when any one party or person is permitted to act without respect to the Constitution, we're in trouble today. When the role of our three branches of government is being neglected, then we are headed toward a dictatorial disaster. That's how it works. Go ahead and talk about communism. Let's stop over in some of them countries. Talk to some of our missionaries that have been in countries where they don't experience the freedom that we have in America. Let's go ahead. We can go ahead and talk all day long about how bad America is, but my friend, I promise you this, you don't want to leave. And can I tell you that God's word makes it pretty clear that as sinners, there is no way a man or a woman could ever rule in the kind of rulership that Jesus Christ is going to have during the millennium and do it properly and do it fairly, justly and righteously. Impossible. Impossible. Only Jesus could do that. Only he can be trusted with absolute power and authority. Only he is capable of handling power without being corrupted. So the seventh and final dispensation brings about a culmination of life on earth. And the closest thing yet to how God really intended and wants us to live on this earth. It's the millennial kingdom, and it lasts for a thousand years. So how do we get there? Well, turn to Revelation chapter 19, 15. Jesus returns and wins a great battle. That battle's called Armageddon. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he, as he, treadeth, uh, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. We know that the rapture of the church takes place. There's a tribulation period. And then in chapter 19, we see the return of Jesus Christ. We see him returning, and he's defeating his enemies. A tremendous battle will take place. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. Sounds a lot like the word of God. And he defeats the enemy. The beast and the false prophet, they're cast into the lake of fire. Look at verse 20 of that same chapter. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So the satanic trinity is now divided. Two of the three find themselves in the lake of fire. We're going to note now that God has a special place, a special place for the dragon, for Satan himself. Notice we see here in chapter 20 now, verses 1 through 3. We've noted it already, but let's read it again as we consider this timeline. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. I wonder why there's a great chain if it's not a physical place. You ever think about that? 
What is it? Just a, I don't know. Like, is this all about like Casper the Friendly Ghost? Is this all fake? Is it spiritual? Is there any substance to this chain? Is there any substance to the bottomless pit? Is it a real place or isn't it a real place? Of course it's a real place. Satan is going to literally be bound in this place and he's going to have a big old chain and it seems like there's some kind of way to enter into it. I know that one day, even into the lake of fire, people will be cast into. I know that in this case, he's being placed in and he's being chained in, sealed in. And it will be 1,000 years before that chain or seal is broken. Messiah then will take his rightful place on the throne of David. And he's going to rule the entire world. Look, if you would, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. We noted this over in the book of Revelation, but we also see it prophesied in the Old Testament. So Jesus Christ returns, and there's this big battle that transpires, but it's really a short-lived battle, and it's not really as big as it may seem because he simply speaks. The beast and the false prophet cast in the lake of fire. Satan himself placed into the bottomless pit. And now Jesus Christ is going to take his rightful place, his prophesied place on the throne. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Jesus Christ is seated now on the throne. And all the resurrected saints are going to be involved in the management of this government. We're going to see people involved, Old Testament saints, tribulation saints, and even some New Testament saints that have proven themselves to be uh, worthy of such rulership. Notice in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 again, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. We know that one day we're going to judge. He says, your judge is already. And then he says, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. See those tribulation saints, in which not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. The millennial kingdom will be a time that is characterized by a number of wonderful attributes. First of all, we think about that time being a time of peace. Look in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. I mean, today we are constantly seeking peace, and yet we know that until the Prince of Peace takes his rightful place on the throne and rules and reigns, there is no way peace truly will come. There's always going to be wars. Why? Because there's always humanity. Because there's always pride. There's always sin. It's just the way it is. It's just like this idea we're going to wipe out the poor in the world. It's impossible. The Bible says the poor will be with you always. I don't know why we have not figured out that the Bible is always right. I'm not saying that we're to be neglectful of people that are struggling. I'm not saying that we're not to have a heart for others. I'm just saying that sometimes our goals as human beings 
somehow we think that we can do more than God says can be done. I think we should just listen to what God has to say first. I'm not saying we shouldn't work at things, but we better be careful that we don't decide that we're bigger, better than God, and we can do more than what he could even do. Uh, I don't know that that's the case at all. You know, God knows something about people probably that we don't. Some people are bound to be poor because some people don't want anything but poor. They're willing to accept that in their life, especially in an America where we can work, strive, put forth effort. We used to call it the American dream. Now we don't even want to stand up when the American flag is lifted. And yet every single athlete at the, uh, the, the, the games looks at America and says, I wish I was living in America. It's pitiful today. It's just pitiful. Nonetheless, you think pastor's a little upset about that? I am. Peace. Isaiah 11, 6 and 7. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leper shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed. The young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Man, I don't know about you, but that's peace. Can you imagine a lion and a little child? It wasn't that long ago, um, Siegfried and Freud, I think that was, years ago back in the 1990s, I think, or early 2000s, stuck his head in a lion's mouth and the thing about took his head off. Now, they were lion trainers, right? They thought they had it all figured out until the lion decided he wasn't going to do what they said. Let me tell you something. Lions have a nature, and that nature is carnivorous. And that nature says, you know what? I like flesh. By the way, the devil likes flesh, too. He likes your flesh, and he wants to promote your flesh to ultimately destroy you and those around you. Be careful with that, too. We all need to be careful there, don't we? But anyway, we see here that, boy, these, this little child shall lead them. He's going to lead the calf. He's going to lead the young lion. He's going to lead the leper. Man, he, that's amazing, a little child. And then notice also that instead of being carnivorous now, they're going to be vegetarian. You see, the lion shall eat straw like the ox. That's interesting, isn't it? Things are going to change during the, tribula, uh, during the millennium. It's going to be different. It's going to be an agricultural society. It's going to be a little bit different than what we're used to here. It's going to be a lot of people die during the tribulation, by the way. Two-thirds of the earth will perish. Can you imagine that? We think the COVID's bad. We're talking seven billion people in the world. Two-thirds will die during the tribulation period. Think about that for a minute. Wrap your mind around those kind of deaths. It's amazing, isn't it, how the world will still find hope in a leader who can't do anything for them but talk a good game. And eventually, he's just going to track down the Jew because the Jew's the whole problem. So we can just kill all those Jews during the tribulation. We'll finally get rid of this scourge on the earth. and We'll be able to get back to normal. But it won't happen because God will supernaturally protect the Jewish people. And although they'll be hunted like animals, they will survive as they have survived for centuries and millenniums already. Thank God for his preservation. So we see, <clears throat> by, by the way, I, you say, boy, you're painting a pretty ugly picture. I don't want you to go there and I don't want your family going there. You know, too many times we, we, we paint pictures that seem 
much less bad or horrible than they really are. I'm going to tell you, there is nothing about the tribulation period that you, you don't want your worst enemy to go there. There's no, I mean, it's going to be really, really bad. And sometimes, just like hell, we don't really paint the pictures, do we? And we kind of sugarcoat everything because we don't want to offend anybody. But the truth is, is that the truth is bad. I thought that was mine. I started to reach for it, brother. <laughs> it's God on the line. Just get going, preacher. You don't have time to talk about all that stuff. Okay, so anyway, justice. Justice. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3 through 4. While you're turning there, let me just finish out peace real quick in Micah 4, 3. You're going to Isaiah 11. You're already there, so don't turn. But I'm going to Micah 4, 3. And he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> you think about the budget that nations have for their war machines. I mean, think about the budget that we, we, we have. And again, I, I'm, not, I'm not being critical of, of, of armies. I, I think that strength brings peace, to be frank with you. I think that as a nation, we need a strong military so that we can ward off any threats. As at least to, for our personal liberty as well as our safety. But won't it be a wonderful place when we don't even have to put any money at all into the war machine? When Jesus Christ rules and reigns on the throne, he's got, he's got weapons? What do you need weapons for? You don't need weapons. Man, you, 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 you need plowshares. You, you need tools to go out and work in the field. I'm telling you, I don't see no tractors here. Man, is there going to be a tractor? Or am I going to actually have to dig it up like they did in the old days? Think about the devastation that the earth will have gone through. Now, people will live to be a thousand years old. I believe there'll be people that enter into the, enter into the millennium that will actually come out the other end. It's a good possibility. We know that being a child is at the age of a hundred, the Bible tells us. Some may be born and live literally just like Methuselah. The entire time. Can you imagine? Boy, let me tell you what. They are going to amass so much technology and knowledge over the course of a thousand years. But you know, it's interesting. Technology has never spared a sin. It's never corrected the atomic nature. It only breeds pride in humanity. Now, there's, not, there's good things about all that. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, you know, DVRs, right? I mean, come on, I mean, you got to have priorities. I mean, you got the Olympics are on, so if you're watching the Olympics, you can tape it, right? And I say tape it, you do digitally now, you do all those crazy stuff. Some of you are watching it right now on your phones. <laughs> Technology, you know? It's good, but it can be bad too. It does have a tendency to puff up, doesn't it? Much learning. Uh, it, Paul said, make it, well, it doesn't matter. But anyway, go ahead. Peace and then justice. We said justice. Look at Isaiah 11, 3 and 4, you're there. And he shall make him a quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. We saw this already. We've looked at it. Now listen, justice, it's so important, isn't it? When you have a judge that is not just, you got a problem. When you go to court and it's not fair, it's a kangaroo court, that's a mess. 
you know, you say, well, let me share my side of the story, and it doesn't matter what your side of the story is because the judge already made up their mind, let me tell you, there's a problem. That's what corruption does, right? And that's what humanity is so prone to. Not Jesus Christ, though. Not Jesus Christ. I guarantee you, if Solomon could get it right with the two harlots that brought in the child, the one child, and we, we rave about his wisdom, can I tell you, he got that wisdom from somebody. Jesus is going to get it right every time. Every time. Then there's unity in Isaiah 11, verse 10. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people, and it shall, and it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Man, I mean, everyone's going to get along as a whole. It's going to be a good time. Now, if you don't, what do you have to look forward to? The rod of iron. I mean, he, I'm going to tell you right now, there won't be no rioting in the streets. No businesses being burned down. There's not going to be this, this, this chaotic mess that we see in our world at times. Rebellion, think about the Old Testament. Young people, children, you rebelled against parents in the Old Testament. It didn't turn out well. Moms and dads know what I'm talking about. Let me tell you, you think in the millennium God's going to put up with anything less than he desired for the people of Israel? Hey, you're going to obey the Lord, and he is going to love you, and he's going to give you every opportunity to succeed. But if you rebel against Jesus Christ as he sits on that throne, you've got a punishment awaiting. He'll take care of the business. He's not going to give everybody a pass. You don't make up rules during the millennium. God's already got him. He's on the throne. He does what he wants. It's kind of like your home. You should set the rules, mom and dad. Your children are supposed to follow them. And that's what God's going to do too. Now, hopefully you are a just judge. Hopefully you are, are conscious of their, 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 their I guess, and, and we got to be careful here because I think sometimes the Bible says that him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Your kids are going to do some things sometimes that seem pretty outrageous but maybe they really didn't know. And you know what? There's a different kind of way to attack that than if they have just utterly rebelled. There's a difference. And I think there'll be people in the millennium who will make some bad judgments, but God is going to extend his grace like he does so often in every dispensation, and he'll say, well, and you'll go, gotcha. No problem. Don't worry about me. I, I, know what you're, I know what you're saying. Jesus, it's good. But if you rebel against him openly and you just say, I'm going to do what I want, uh, well, there is a rod of iron still. Okay? Tough but tender. Good balance there for him. I don't know if I could be balanced, but he can. Then we have the abundance. There's just so much. It's so going to be so good during the millennium in this regard. In, in Isaiah 35, Turn there because we'll look at a couple of verses and then we'll, we'll slide, fly right through some of these. Just look at even verses, uh, verse 1 and the beginning of verse 2. The wilderness and the solitary, 35 verses 1 and 2, Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly. Man, I mean, there's going to be, I mean, even places where today you don't see plants growing and, you know, crops making it, man, it's, it's going to be different, you know? And I'm telling you what, I got this sneaking suspicion that even as they went into the promised land years ago and they saw those grapes and all of those uh, 
fruits and, and different things, and they just seemed to, I mean, they were massive. You know how they're like carrying these grapes on their shoulder? You know, it's like, are you kidding me? I want to see eat some of those grapes, you know? And, uh, you know, I believe that in the millennium, they'll, we'll see that. Yes, sir. We will see all that kind of abundance. Now, um, we got healing going to be taking place. In 35, 5, and 6, the Bible says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good time. Man, I, I tell you what, I look at people and all the suffering and all the stuff they have to deal with in this life, and I think, man, oh man, can't wait till Jesus comes. Amen. Righteousness, of course, we already discussed that one, will be one of the characteristics. Also joy. In Isaiah 55, 12, the Bible says, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Joy. Man, it would be good. A people of joy. I mean, when you got a king like Jesus, how could you not be joyful? You know what I mean? Now, there won't be any other elections. Once he wins, he's in. <laughs> you don't vote him out of office, okay? You ain't voting Jesus out. You know, so you better just get with the program. You know what I mean? Uh, that's the way it works with Jesus, okay? Now, again, he's not man. So, you know, we need, it's good we have term limits with mankind. It's very good. But uh, Jesus, nah, he's going to stick around for a thousand. All right, and then finally, the best of all, as we mentioned, the presence of Christ himself. And uh, Isaiah 16, 5 says, And in mercy shall the throne be established. He shall sit upon it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment and hasting righteousness. And that'll be great. But you know what? All good things must come to an end, right? Wait a second. This is supposed to be the millennial kingdom. This is supposed to be the final chapter, the, the point where mankind finally succeeds and is victorious over sin. Well, this one ends in rebellion also. Notice in chapter 20 again, verse 7 and 8, Revelation 27 and 8. I mean, even though Christ is ruling, I mean, he's ruling and justice is prevailing and joy is abundant going to all come to a screeching halt with the release of that old deceiver, Satan. In chapter 20, verse 7 and 8, and when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. It's funny that, and I don't think it's funny, I mean, it's kind of interesting to me that when God talks to Abraham and he makes a commitment to Abraham about his seed, it would be as the sand of the sea, you know. And now we see the armies of Satan as the sands of the sea. Isn't that funny? He's always trying to imitate God. Always imitating God. So you got to think at some point, mankind comes to some conclusions. Satan is loosed and all of a sudden this rebellion begins to take place. Maybe mankind falls into the trap of thinking, you know what, there just has to be something better. I mean, these rules, these restrictions are unnecessary, they're uncalled for. No one's ever said that in the church. No one's ever said that in life. No one's ever said that in the home. No one's ever said that in the workplace. I'm going to tell you it's going to happen in the millennium too. 
And I think they're going to say, what in the world are we doing? Why do we have to follow all His rules? They'll think, well, it really doesn't seem, you know, fair that Christ gets to call the shots. There was a man by the name of Korah that thought that about Moses. They'll think that about Jesus in that day. I mean, you think we're stupid? You think we're dumb? You think we don't have any spirituality? We really have to do everything he says? Last I checked, he's just the son, not the father. You can almost hear somebody saying that, couldn't you? I've heard him say it. I've been in the library down in, the Ak- in Akron, and people come to me and say, well, how can he be God when the Bible says he's the son? And you don't think that'll happen in the millennium? Who's Jesus? He's just a son of God. I'm a son of God. We're all gods. You ever hear that one? Of course. Oh, you turn to the book of Solomon. It says we're all gods. Yeah, I've had them tell me those things. I know. They take it out of context because they fail to rightly divide the word of truth. See? Now, nonetheless, Satan's going to be up to his old tricks again then. He's going to be igniting the flesh and stirring up strife between God and man. He's good at that, isn't he? Man, see, mankind kind of, he kind of, uh, he charges his fall, or he, he claims that his fall and his countenance uh, and continuance in sin, I mean, is, is a direct result of Satan. You know, Satan's the problem, right? The devil made me do it. Anybody, you've heard that, right? And honestly, sometimes we like to say that. We don't say it quite like that. What we say is, well, everybody has their sin. Well, the the devil makes you do it, right? Think about that for a minute. Everybody has their sin. What's that supposed to mean anyway? What does that, is that like a pass? Is that like everybody gets at least one? Everybody's allowed to have one area that they sin in and that they, well, they give up in. I'm a a firm believer in this. I I am not convinced for a moment, although it's, listen, it is theoretically possible because we have Christ living in us and we're given the power to crucify the flesh. It is theoretically possible to live a perfect sinless life after salvation. It is theoretically possible. Will it happen? No, it's not happening. We know 1 John 1, 9 is in there for that reason. Because God knows as much as we have the ability to do something, we won't because we are just simple sinners. And so he has provided a means for us until we get that new body. And since I have forgotten the direction I was going on that one, let's move on. So nonetheless, man says, you know what? This is all Satan's fault. Take him away. Get rid of his power, bind him, deliver us from his, his influence. And you're going to see that mankind is inherently good, is, is I mean, virtuous and, and, and decent, and that we're just simply the victims of an unfavorable environment. But after a thousand years of Satanless life, mankind will rebel against the master and side with Satan the moment he's released. Isn't that sad to think about? The moment we get the chance, 
We're going to let that flesh rule us again and we'll turn right to him. It will still, the flesh will still be there during the millennium. But there won't be that igniter. Satan won't be going around all the time igniting it. Oh, you'll still, there'll still be temptations. There'll still be problems. But he won't be there. We cannot even wrap our minds around how active Satan really is in our lives. We, we, we can't. Him and his demonic host, we cannot wrap our minds around how busy he is and active he is. The truth is that mankind can never live up to God's standard of perfect standard in, in this whole flesh. We know that. And so, the dispensation of this millennial dispensation ends in failure as well, it ends in rebellion. Look in Revelation 29 and 10. This rebellion is crushed by the Lord again. Even as when he came back and he spoke in chapter 19, we're going to see him now at the end of the millennium coming back, and we're going to note again verse 20, chapter 20, verses 9 and 10. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city, beloved city Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Sounds a lot like Elijah, doesn't it? And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then comes the great white throne judgment, chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And there, of course, people will be judged for their works. And um, after that judgment, Christ and his bride will live forever in the new Jerusalem. The Jew will be established on earth and in Jerusalem. The Gentile will repopulate the universe. It's amazing. God has a plan. And God will fulfill that plan. And in Revelation 21, 4 and 5, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Verse 5, And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Aren't you glad they're true and faithful? That's what we have to look forward to. All things new. That is a day worth waiting for. So, mankind was tested in innocence in the Garden of Eden. But soon came the fall. He was tested under conscience before the flood. But it repented God that he had made man and he sent the rain. He was tested under human government. And finally, we have the confusion of tongues at Babel. He was tested under the headship of the family or the patriarchs. It ended in Egypt, Egyptian bondage. He was tested under the law. 
before Jesus Christ. But they cried, crucify him. And they did. We're now being tested under grace. But as we mentioned last week, it will end in apostasy. And finally, mankind will be tested in the millennium. And it will end in rebellion. See, the failure of these dispensations, of every dispensation, or every test, if you will, proves that mankind is helplessly and hopelessly bitten and bound by sin. There is not one thing good or admirable about man. He possesses no redeeming qualities of any kind. It is simply and only the grace of God that enables mankind to fellowship with him. It's only the grace of God. And that's exactly what God wants you and I to understand as we go through this book, is that it is always his grace that provides us fellowship with him. As, good as, we may try, as hard as we may try to be good, it will always be his grace. And no matter how good a Christian you become, you will never, ever reach heaven except for being a Christian. I mean, it's not our lifestyle that wins us his affection. It's his grace. We serve an amazing God. I mean, an amazing God. It really is amazing how wonderful he is to us. I wonder, what... uh, what, what, have, what steps have you taken lately to get to know him better? And this is how good he is. His grace is so, so wonderful. What steps have you taken lately? I mean, concrete steps. Not, well, I, 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 young people, I love your testimonies. I love testimonies. Adults, I love testimonies. And let me be clear. It's important that when we make a decision that we devise a plan. If you said, I made a decision to, to read my Bible more, if you made that decision, then you need to put in writing when you plan to read it more. You know, it would be in writing. You need to know. Don't just say, well, I'm going to read it more. I'm going to pray more. I've made a decision to pray more. You're very unlikely to pray more after the first two or three days unless you schedule time to pray. You know exactly where you'll be and when you'll be doing it, and you block everything else out. Unless you do that, you probably, if you don't have a plan, then it's just a dream. And it'll never come to pass. I just want to encourage you. As you think about what have I done lately to enhance or to better my walk and relationship with the Lord, what concrete steps have you taken lately to ensure that that happens? Because, boy, he is a good God, and he's so worthy of our time and our effort. What steps have you taken? Maybe you just need to make some steps. Lord, I promise to put in writing tonight how I'm going to Read your word more in the next two months. I'm going to put in writing 
how or when I'm going to be praying so that I spend more time with you in prayer. Whatever it may be, whatever decision you make, make sure that you have a plan or it'll simply become a dream. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for what you do for us and how good you've been. Thank you, Father, for the hope that we have. We think about just uh, the millennium coming up, but Lord, even that is as much opportunity as people will have, having Christ literally there. They don't even need faith. They'll see him with their own eyes. And yet in the end, when Satan is loosed, they're going to rebel. Not all, but a great number, according to the word of God, a great number. We ask, dear God, that you would help us as believers to never rebel against your authority, but instead to completely and totally submit ourselves. And then, Lord, as we do make decisions to be closer to you and to draw nigh to you, that we would put them in concrete, so to speak. We'd put them in writing, that we would truly schedule them, not just in our heads, not just in our hearts, but on paper so that we can see it with our eyes and follow it. We just need you, Lord. We love you. We'll thank you for what you will do in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.